0: Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha.
1: And I'm Patty. This week we are continuing our discussion of Season 8 in The Mind of Evil. We will be discussing the Doctor, the companions and the villains and giving our thoughts on the story as a whole.
0: We would also love to hear your thoughts on this story. So to join the discussion you can check us out at Team, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Or you can email us at team at teamproductions.com. Now, Paddy, I will hand over to you for our story recap, please.
1: Thank you very much. At Stangmore Prison, a converted medieval fortress, prisoner George Patrick Barnum is being taken away for his sentence to be carried out. He tries to fight off the guards, but to no avail, and his fellow prisoners cause a cacophony to show their support, leading the spectators for the sentencing to believe that a riot is ensuing. Amongst the spectators are the Doctor and Joe, who have come come out due to the Doctor's curiosity at the process that is about to take place which he calls the Keller Method. The prison governor appears and introduces Professor Kettering, an associate of the Professor Keller who invented the process. He informs those in attendance that this method is based on the concept of elimination of negative mental impulses in order to recondition criminals into law-abiding citizens. Dealing with the doctor's frequent interruptions and snide remarks, he tells everyone that the negative impulses are then stored in a specialized machine. A heavily sedated Barnum is then wheeled in as Kettering says that the process has been very successful in its test runs and this will be the first public demonstration of the process. The process begins but Barnum screams out in agony as the machine seemingly malfunctions. Kettering just tries to play it off as a minor issue but the doctor demands to know what happened and fobs off his poor explanation of the machine failure. The governor introduces the doctor and his rolled in unit with the doctor saying that the Keller machine is exactly the sort of thing unit was created to stop. Kettering goes to the infirmary and gets an update on Barnum from the hospital physician, Dr. Summers. He says that Barnum seems to be all right physically, but he is then called to attend an incident in the room where the experiment took place. Kettering follows him and they are joined by the governor, Joe and the doctor, and he confirms that the victim on the floor is dead. Kettering says that it might be a heart attack as a result of watching the experiment, but the doctor dismisses the idea and asks Summers to do a postmortem and check the previous medical records. Joe says that the man looked terrified and that his neck is covered in what appears to be tiny bites and scratches. The doctor suggests that he should call the brigadier, but Joe reminds him that he is overseeing the security arrangements for the world's first global peace conference. At Unit HQ, the brigadier informs Yates that they have been tasked with escorting a missile for disassembly and he wants Yates in charge of the escort convoy. They are suddenly interrupted by Captain Chen Li, who is a representative of the delegation from the People's Republic of China. She says that the important documents have been stolen from the room of General Cheng Teck, the head of the delegation, and she accuses the unit guards of letting someone into the room. The brigadier swallows his anger at the insult, and promises to investigate the situation and arrest whoever is responsible. Chin Li leaves, but warns that if there are any more issues, then her delegation will withdraw from the conference. She then makes her way into a nearby park, and in a trance-like state, burns the stolen documents. Before she leaves, she touches a small metal stud at the base of her skull. In the process room, the doctor and Kettering argue about the Keller process, but stop when Summers arrives and says that the victim did die of heart failure, but says that he had no history of heart disease or anything else that would have contributed to an attack. Summers does point out that he had a fear of small animals, which the doctor correctly assumes to be rats. The governor says that the prison is free of rats, but Summers says that the evidence speaks for itself. Kettering still tries to label the death as simple heart failure, but the doctor insists it has something to do with the Keller machine growing angry when Kettering insults his scientific capabilities and storms off. Joe follows on, pleading with the governor to listen to the doctor, and he agrees and gets Kettering to do a complete examination of the Keller machine. Kettering begins to start his examination when the machine starts to flicker into life. He grabs his head in pain and he suddenly imagines himself in the middle of the sea and begins to act as if he is drowning before collapsing to the floor dead. Summers examines the body and informs the governor and the recently returned doctor and Joe that all signs indicate that he died by drowning. He goes to check Kettering's medical records and confirms that he had only been dead for about five minutes, which seems to have coincided with another cacophony from the prisoners. The doctor pleads with the governor to have the Kenner machine destroyed, as he thinks it is responsible, but the governor says that he needs to submit the request to the Home Office first, leading the doctor to wonder how many more will die in the meantime. At Unit HQ, the brigadier is informing Yates that the comprehensive search has not found the missing papers when a call comes through from Chen Li. She informs him that General chang Tech is dead and the Brigadier makes his way to the room. Once they arrive, Chin-Li demands that immediate action be taken, but confirms that no one else is aware of the death. The Brigadier tells Yates to get a report on all comings and goings to the room and instructs him to call the doctor and Joe back from the prison. He then questions Chin-Li about her finding the body and she says that she calls him immediately after discovering it when she arrived for a meeting with the General. Thinking she is hiding something, the Brigadier gives an order for the time of the call to be verified. After a short while, he questions Chin Lee about why she is lying as her call was recorded as being logged nearly half an hour after she supposedly found the body. At the prison, the governor says that for the time being, he can only seal off the processing room until he gets further instructions, but he allows the doctor to examine the machine for himself. Before he leaves, the doctor asks if Keller installed the machine himself, and the governor replies that he was helped by his female Chinese assistant. Joe leaves to visit Summers, who is dealing with the recently awakened and confused Barnum. Summers confirms that Kettering had water in his lungs and died of drowning. Meanwhile, in the process room, the Keller machine activates again, heralding another noise riot from the prisoners, and the Doctor recoils in pain as he sees himself surrounded by fire. Episode 2 Joe rushes into the room and manages to bring the Doctor out of the illusion. The terrified Doctor takes a while to come back to his senses and tells Joe her arrival interfered with the Keller machine's assault on him. The Doctor reveals that the illusion he saw was based on his experience watching the parallel Earth burn. He then says that the Keller machine convinces the brain that what it is experiencing is in fact reality, and the body reacts accordingly. Joe asks why they can't simply destroy the machine, but the doctor says that the home office would prefer to control it rather than get rid of it. Still rattled from the encounter, the doctor tells Joe to leave, but before she can go, Yates arrives and tells the doctor he needs to go with him to the Brigadier. The doctor refuses to leave and applies the venusian crashy technique to Yates when he tries to force him to leave. Yates informs him of the murder and the doctor agrees to go, but orders Joe to go to the governor and have him seal the processing room. Back in London, Benton is observing Chin Lee as she uses a public call box, but she notices him and mentally assaults him with the power channelized from the Keller machine through the metal stud on her neck. Benton collapses to the ground, but by the time he comes to and is helped by a passerby, she has fled the scene. He reports to the brigadier who dismisses him before Yates and the doctor arrive. Yates, too, is dismissed after the doctor comments on the brigadier's mood, leading the doctor to ask for a complete rundown on the situation. After receiving all this information, the doctor agrees to help in the investigation in return for the brigadier's assistance in dealing with the Keller machine. They then depart to meet the new Chinese delegate, Mr. Fu Peng. Meanwhile outside, the master, disguised as a telecom repairman, has tapped into the secure phone line in Unit HQ and listens in as Yates discusses the guard detail for the missile convoy. He then changes into a suit and gets into a nearby waiting car. While he is listening, he notices the doctor and the brigadier leave. They arrive at Fu Peng's room, and the doctor greets him in his native Hokkien dialect, having guessed his origin from his name. Fu Peng returns the greeting before switching to English, and the doctor further ingratiates himself by mentioning a close friendship with Mao Tse-Tung, the chairman of the People's Republic of China, and Fu Peng invites him to take tea with him, leaving the brigadier to wait behind. Growing impatient, the brigadier tries to discuss the murder with Fu Peng, but he ignores him and instead asks the doctor to dine with him later that evening. The doctor agrees and he departs with the exasperated Brigadier. Back at the prison, Joe goes to visit Summers and gets a checkup on Barnum. Barnum reveals that he has been having memory issues since the process, but he seems to exhibit none of the aggressive attitude he previously showed before undergoing the counter method. Summers confides in her that he thinks the machine overcorrected on him and has reduced him to a near simpleton. Meanwhile, at the holding cell where Barnum was before being moved to the process room, one of the prisoners is being supervised as he cleans the room. Another noise riot from the other prisoners draws the guards away, and the cleaner places a gun underneath one of the pillows. The guard returns, and the cleaner finishes just as a new prisoner, Mailer, is brought in, accompanied by other guards and the governor. Mailer smugly states that he won't be subjected to the treatment process, and once he is left alone with the two remaining guards, he surreptitiously checks for the gun whilst they play chess to pass the time. After a while, another guard enters with a tray of tea, and Mailer takes him hostage with the gun. He takes the rest of the guard's prisoner, and he releases his fellow inmates, who he instructs to find as many hostages as possible. He and Vosper, the prisoner who left the gun for him, find Joe and Summers in the medical wing and take them hostage. At Unit HQ, the doctor suggest that the de- death of General Cheng Tech is linked with the killer Machine, citing the similarities between it and the other deaths. Yeats then enters with papers for the Brigadier to sign in relation to the convoy mission and he explains to the Doctor that the missile's warhead contains an incredibly deadly nerve gas which has been outlawed by the UN and is to be buried at sea. The Brigadier notices that Benton is on the escort detail and jokingly tells Yates that he might lose the missile as he did Chen Li. The Doctor overhears this and after a brief explanation he realizes that she is the assistant that installed the Keller machine at the prison. The Brigadier suggests that it could be a coincidence but the Doctor insists an alert be put out for her. At that time, Chen Li has arrived at the master's car where he reasserts his mental control over her and orders her to kill the American delegate. Inside Unit HQ, the doctor is trying to contact the prison but is unable to be connected due to the phone lines going down. The brigadier then gets a call informing him that Chen Li was seen entering Fu Peng's room. In the room, Chen Li places a call through to Senator Alcott, the American delegate, and says that Fu Peng wishes to meet him alone to discuss a mutually beneficial secret and she then hides as he enters the room. Once he enters the room fully, she tells him to take a seat and turns off the lights before assaulting him with the power of the cannon machine, forcing him to see a Chinese dragon attacking him. Episode 3 Alcott begs the advancing dragon to stay away, but he collapses to the ground, clawing at his own face. The doctor suddenly enters the room, followed by Fu Peng and the brigadier, who attempts to shoot the dragon, which they can also see. The doctor pushes his arm away as he fires and calls out something in Mandarin, which causes the illusion to vanish and Chen Li to fall to the ground unconscious. The doctor informs the others that they were all caught in a mass hallucination and he goes to check on Chen Li and Alcott, who is alive but in a state of deep shock. Fu Peng then shows him the stud on her neck and the doctor says it is a telepathic amplifier, which is most likely connected to the Keller machine. The doctor tells Fu Peng that someone was using Chen Li as a pawn in order to start another world war. He tasks the doctor with finding whoever is responsible and then leaves to inform the embassy about the recent events. Chen Li starts to come to and the doctor speaks to her in her native Cantonese to gain her trust. He then asks her about Keller and her trip to the prison with him. Back at the prison, Joe and Summers have been placed in an isolation cell and when Mailer and Vosper return, Summers attacks them in an escape attempt but Mailer hits him with the pistol. The right has damaged the phone lines and he tells Summers that he will carry a message from Mailer to the governor. He refuses to leave without Joe but she says that she will be all right and she is left in the cell on her own. The doctor and Shinley return to Unit HQ in the morning and find the Brigadier asleep in his office. Before they can discuss anything, Yates calls in and says that the escort convoy is experiencing a delay due to the loading of the missile. Unbeknownst to them, the master is listening in on their conversation, and he seems alarmed when the brigadier mentions that Chen Li is with him and that they are discussing the Keller machine. He tells his driver to head for the prison as the brigadier hangs up at the call. Chen Li tells him that she met Keller at an embassy function and she agreed to accompany him to Stangmore as prison reform was one of her government's highest priorities. However, she is unable to remember what happened at the prison or any of her other meetings with Keller. The doctor then realises that Keller is the master. At the prison, Mailer has the captured guards and Joe brought into the main hallway. In the governor's office, Summers begs for him to negotiate with Mailer, but he refuses, saying that more innocent people would die if Mailer and the others were released. The chief guard calls the brigadier and informs him of the riot and the capture of Joe, which perturbs the doctor. In the prison hallway, a confused Barnum arrives and requests to see Summers, but Mailer tells Vosper to take him away. Joe kicks Mailer's hand holding the gun, causing it to go off and hit one of the prisoners. She then grabs the gun and holds Vosper at bay as the captured guards fight back against the prisoners. More prison guards and the governor rush in and take control of the situation, and Joe gives Mailer back over to them. Later, the master arrives and meets with the governor, and he assures him that he can fix the machine, but asks to see Mailer before they go into the processing room. He is escorted to the holding cell and once he is left alone with Mailer, he offers to help him take control of the prison again and opens his suitcase to reveal gas bombs, masks and guns. He tells them to ensure that once they have taken control of the prison that it looks completely normal so as not to arouse the doctor's suspicion when he arrives. The master then calls for the guards to open the cell and they launch an attack using the gas bombs. The governor tries to sound the alarm but Mailer shoots him and the guards that come to his aid. The master disables the phone lines and switches off the alarm. In the medical wing, Vosper captures Joe, Summers, and Barnum. Sometime later, the doctor arrives at the prison, but he is captured by Mailer and brought to see the master. The doctor tries to threaten him if he discovers Joe has been harmed, but the master pulls a gun on him and says he will shoot him in both of his hearts if he tries anything. He then tells the doctor that he requires some assistance dealing with the Keller machine, which seems to be exhibiting the beginnings of independent thought. He also reveals that he intends to steal the missile being transported with units so he can launch it at the peace conference, thereby starting another world war. The Doctor then causes a distraction by flipping over the desk, allowing him to escape. He flees into the courtyard and manages to avoid the gunfire from the prisoners in the guard towers, and he makes his way back into the main part of the prison. He hears Joan Summer call for him, but he encounters Mailer who chases him towards the processing room, where he finds the Master waiting for him. The Master tells him to tie the Doctor to the chair and then to leave once he is done. The Master explains that he has fixed the Keller machine and wants to see how long the Doctor can resist its power. He attaches the controls to him, saying that the effects can be reversed to affect the wearer. He then leaves and seals the door behind him. The machine starts up, and the Doctor is played with visions of the fire that could consume the parallel Earth, as well as images of Daleks, Cybermen, Zarbi, Sensorites, War Machines and Ice Warriors. Episode 4 The Doctor passes out from the strain, but the power of the killer Machine has started to affect the prisoners as well. The Master, also starting to feel the effects of the machine, unseals the door and manages to shut off the machine. He checks on the doctor and seems to be relieved when he discovers that he is still alive and he brings it back around. The doctor admits that the machine is too strong for him or anyone else to resist, but the master insists that their Time Lord biology would allow them to control it. The doctor says that whatever entity is inside the machine is growing stronger and will be able to overcome them soon. The master then calls Mailer in and tells him to take the doctor to the cell where Joe is now being held on her own after Summers was taken away. He says that if the doctor does not help him, then Joe will be the next person tested on the machine. The weakened doctor tries to escape but is no good and Mailer pistol whips him and then shows him into Joe's cell. Joe is shocked to see the master, who tells her that it would be in her best interest to convince the doctor to help him. He then leaves and gives Vosper and Mailer instructions to clear B Wing of the prison and keep the trap duo under constant guard. The master then goes back to the processing room where the machine starts to use its power on him. He tries to resist and bend the creature within it. He tries to resist and bend the creature within it back to his will but to no avail, and he is presented with his greatest fear. The doctor towering over him and laughing. He flees the room and seals behind him, telling the creature that he will starve it into submission. Back in the holding cell, Summers is brought to attend to the unconscious doctor and he tells Joe that he is in a coma due to the mental and physical trauma he has just experienced. He gives her medicine for him, but after he leaves, the doctor wakes up and says that he just needs the rest and the medicine would probably kill him due to his alien metabolism. He then falls unconscious again, leaving Joe alone once more. Meanwhile, the master orders Mailer, to make sure that no one enters the processing room, but Mailer wants to know why they just don't leave the prison. The master says that a mass breakout of prisoners would lead to a massive manhunt that could lead to the re-arrests or deaths of the prisoners, and instead he shows him his plans to to capture the missile, which he will then use to blackmail the world's powers into giving him whatever he wants. The following morning, Joe demands that she and the doctor be given food, and once Vosper goes to fulfil the demand, the doctor wakes up and tells a delighted Joe that they need to escape. A short while later, the food arrives and together, the doctor and Joe manage to overcome the guards and lock them into the cell. They then take refuge in the governor's office and come across the plans for the missile theft. At that moment, the missile convoy is ambushed by Mailer and a group of the prisoners. Yates gets off the road and tries to call for reinforcements, but gets wounded and then watches that the prisoner make off with the missile. He struggles back to the road and takes one of his men's abandoned motorcycles and takes off in pursuit. Unbeknownst to him, his attempts to contact the unit HQ are reported to the Brigadier, who figures out the convoy position and then prepares to go there via helicopter. Yates follows the prisoners to an abandoned airfield and watches discreetly as they unload the missile. However, his presence is detected and as he tries to flee, his motorcycle is shot out from underneath him and he gets knocked unconscious when he hits the ground and is then taken prisoner. Meanwhile, the Brigadier and the platoon of men have arrived at the convoy site and one of the medics tends to the wounded Benton who tells him about seeing a police van before being knocked unconscious. The brigadier, acting on a hunch, looks at the map and sees that the prison is not too far away. Back in the prison, Joe urges the doctor to leave in case they get caught, but he says that they are safe where they are, as it's the last place the prisoners would think to look. He then filters in on the creature in the machine, calling to the parasite as old as time itself. Joe then brings his attention to the master leaving, and he says that it is their best opportunity to destroy the machine. Meanwhile, The machine has gained the ability to teleport, and it appears in the main hallway where it attacks a prisoner searching for the Doctor and Joe and kills him. It then teleports away again before the Doctor and Joe arrive to discover the body. The Doctor realizes that the machine can now move itself, and he rushes to the processing room, but they are caught by Mailer and Vosper. The machine suddenly appears again and kills Vosper, and then moves back to its original position where it begins to affect the Doctor, Joe, and Mailer. Episode 5 Mailer fires at the machine as he flees from the room, and the machine suddenly teleports away again, leading the doctor to theorise that Mailer is the preferred target due to his innate ne- evil nature. They exit the room and come across a still-confused Barnum, who says that he has been searching for Joe and he follows on after them as they go and try to stop the master from using the missile. Meanwhile, the brigadier is scouting the prison in the helicopter, and he radios back to the base that everything seems to be okay, but he's suspicious that it seems to be too quiet. The doctor and Joe spot the helicopter and start to go into the yard to signal it, but they are called back in by a rifle-wielding prisoner. Barnum, not knowing his own strength due to his childlike demeanour, demands that the prisoner not hurt them as he starts to strangle him with the rifle. The doctor intervenes and stops him from killing the prisoner as others arrive and then take them away. Meanwhile, the master calls Maelor from the airfield housing the missile and he begins to berate him for leaving Yates alive, but Maelor cuts across him and informs him about the rampaging machine. He demands that he return to the prison to deal with it, or all the prisoners will flee, and if any of them are caught, then they will readily give away the mission's location. Left with little choice, the master agrees to come back, and once he is off the phone, he tells Yates that he can stop pretending to be unconscious. He tells him that he intends to use the missile, and that the only reason Yates is alive is so that he can be used as a hostage if Unit finds him before he is ready. The doctor and Joe are brought into the governor's office to meet Mailer, but he refuses to let Barnum in, referring to him as a zombie. The Doctor asks him why he's assisting the Master, and Mailer says it's a mutually beneficial agreement. Joe says that he's just being used by the Master, but the Doctor can't offer him anything to change his allegiance, and so they're taken away back to the cells. Meanwhile, the Brigadier has returned to the HQ and tells one of his subordinates, Major Cosworth, that he believes the missile to be in the prison due to the evidence gathered from the ambush site and his spotting the Doctor and Joe when they signaled him. Cosworth says that he will begin to draw up a plan of attack, but the brigadier replies that the prison is too well fortified, given its original purpose. Cosworth Cosworth suggests that there could be an underground passage into it, and the two of them start to draft up a plan to infiltrate the prison. As they are doing this, they are informed of the masters return to the prison by one of their observation teams. They eventually come up with a plan. but Before they set off, Benton arrives and requests to be assigned to the mission, having checked himself out of the infirmary to be able to do so. The Brigadier agrees, impressed by Benton's tenacity, but sadly informs him that there is no word on Yates. As they are speaking, Yates has actually managed to free himself from the chair as he was tied to, and the the prisoner guarding him. The Master visits the Doctor and Joe, who ignore him until they finish their game of drafts, which Joe wins. The Master again asks him to help control the machine, and threatens to have Mailer kill Joe if he doesn't. Left with no choice, the Doctor agrees to try and at least inhibit the machine's ability to teleport. The two Time Lords then make their way to the processing room, with Joel being left behind in the cell. The Doctor uses equipment from the prison's workshop storeroom and rigs up an electrical coil to a rudimentary pulse wave emitter, which he says should mimic a human brainwave and thereby distract the machine from teleporting again. The Doctor carefully makes his way into the processing room, and the machine starts up again and starts to attack him. Again he is plagued with visions of his former adversaries as he attempts to place the electrical coil, which starts smoking and sparking from the strain, around it. He successfully places it around the machine, and the master turns on the pulse wave emitter to its highest setting, and after a few tense moments, the machine powers down. The doctor says it is a temporary measure at best, as the machine is continually learning. The master says that he will have time to figure out how to control it permanently, and orders Maynard to escort him back to the cell. Once there, he rests in order to be able to regain his strength, and regales Joe as they share the remnants of their breakfast with the tale of how he met Sir Walter Raleigh in the Tower of London during the reign of Elizabeth I. Outside the prison, the brigadier disguises as a delivery man, drives a supply truck up to the main gate, and while he distracts the guards, members of the assault team disembark and knock out the guards after the gates have been opened to allow the van in. Meanwhile, Benton's team has successfully snuck into the prison through the underground tunnel, and a vicious firefight breaks out as the unit forces take control of the prison. Inside, Mailer takes the doctor and Joe hostage in an attempt to use them as bargaining chips. Joe tries to cause a distraction for the Doctor to disarm him, but Mailer is too quick and informs the Doctor that he only needs one of them alive as he points his gun at him. Episode 6 As Mailer prepares to kill the Doctor, the Brigadier arrives and shoots him. The Doctor tanks him but wishes that he couldn't cut it as close from now on. Benton arrives and says that the Master is not in the prison grounds and the Doctor reveals that the missile is not there either. The Master has actually gone to the airfield where he oversees the missile's launch preparations. The Brigadier takes the others to the Governor's office and they start trying to figure out how to find the Master and the missile. Benton arrives and brings Barnum with him, saying that he found him locked in the medical bay. The Brigadier tells Benton to lock him up with the other prisoners, but Joe interjects and tells him to stay in the office while she goes to get him something to eat. The Doctor tells the Brigadier about what happened to Barnum and they'll be fine with Joe looking after him. They suddenly get a radio message from Yates who has returned to the mobile HQ and he tells them about the missile's location. The Brigadier places Benton in charge of the prison whilst he goes to join the rest of his men for an assault on the airfield. The doctor warns him to be careful of the master, but elects to stay in the prison in order to try and destroy the machine. At that time, the machine destroys the processing room as it burns out the inhibitor coil and teleports into the main hallway where it kills two of the guards. Joe returns to the governor's office with food for Barnum and goes with the doctor to deal with the machine. Summers calls through to Benton to ask for an update on the medical supplies and... And Barnum tries to speak to him on the phone but Benton tells him to go to speak to whoever he wants and with his childlike understanding Barnum makes his way towards the medical bay. Down in the main hall the doctor and Joe discover the damage caused by the machine. The machine suddenly ambushes them and starts to assault them but it stops when Barnum staggers in his proximity to it seemingly nullifying its effects. Barnum becomes fearful of the room saying that he remembers something bad happening there and he attempts to flee but he is stopped by the doctor who forces him to back into the machine in order to stop it again. He then gets a chair for him, and he tells Joe that the machine feeds on the negative impulses in the brain, but Barnum has none left, and is therefore a perfect shield against the machine. The doctor opens the machine, and sees the tumour-like parasitical entity inside it. Joe asks if they can destroy it, but the doctor says that it is nearly invulnerable, and will require tremendous force to kill it. He goes to see Benton, leaving Joe to look after the scared Barnum, but he reassures him that he will be back as soon as he can. Summers then comes looking for Barnum and he tries to take him away, not giving Joe a chance to explain things. The creature starts to attack them once Barnum is far enough away, but Joe brings him back and informs Summers what will happen if Barnum goes too far away. Summers reluctantly goes back to the medical bay and tells Barnum to listen to Joe. Meanwhile, the doctor meets Benton and gets him to requisition some equipment and a power supply. Suddenly, the phone rings with the master on the other end, who realizes that the tables have been turned against him. The Doctor tries to convince him not to continue with his plans to use the missile, but the Master refuses. The Doctor then offers to give him back the dematerialization circuit for his TARDIS in exchange for the missile, and after a few moments, the Master agrees. He tells the Doctor to call him alone, and if he sees anyone from unit trying to interfere, he will launch the missile. The Brigadier arrives at the mobile HQ, where he is greeted by Recovering Yates and Cosworth, who tells him that the missile actually has a failsafe in the form of a remote abort function that would blow it up. The doctor then calls and informs him about the deal with the master, and the brigadier agrees to call off the assault on the airfield. However, his attitude causes the doctor concern, but he doesn't reveal anything about the abort function. The brigadier then hangs up and tells Cosworth to call the missile command base and tells Yates to clear a 10-mile radius around the airfield. Unbeknownst to them, though, the master has discovered the abort switch and disables it. The doctor goes to the processing room and informs Joe of the deal he made which he says is just as dangerous as it would mean the Master being free to cause havoc throughout all of time of space. Thanks to Joe, though, he comes up with a plan to use Barnum to destroy both the machine and the Master once and for all. Barnum picks up the resealed machine and, following the Doctor, takes it to the mobile HQ, where they discover the Master has disabled the abort mechanism after it failed to blow up. The Doctor retrieves the demilitarization circuit that was just delivered, and together with Joe and Barnum hiding in the back of a police van, makes his way towards the airfield. Once there, the doctor distracts the master, allowing Joe and Barnum to sneak out the back of the van with the machine. The doctor then manages to disarm the master, and then throws him towards the machine, which starts to attack him. The doctor rushes into the hangar and reconnects the abort mechanism, and Joe radios for a rescue helicopter to come and collect them. They all rush for the helicopter, but Barnum's kindness gets the better of him, and he tries to help the master, who shoves him out of the way so that he can get into the police van. Realising his error, Barnum tries to stop him, but ends up being run over by the fleeing master. The Doctor and Joe go to check on him and Joe is devastated when the Doctor says that he is dead. They then flee in the helicopter and escape before the missile is blown up, destroying the machine in the process. Later in the Governor's office, Joe and the Doctor mourn over the loss of Barnum. The Brigadier tries to lighten the mood by saying the machine was destroyed and the Master is still trapped on Earth, but the Doctor discovers that the Master actually stole the dematerialization circuit during their struggle. The Master then calls, thanking him for his assistance and saying that he will come back one day to destroy them. The Master then mocks him over his continued exile, and the Doctor laments the fact that the Master is now free to do as he wishes, whilst he is forced to remain on Earth with the Brigadier, who smiles at the statement. End of the story. (laughs) So now that we have that wonderful concept in our head, (laughs) we're going to go over to the trivia spot. Because, like, like, that is a terrifying concept.
0: Yeah. Literally.
1: Mm.
0: So, trivia spot for The Mind of Evil. The air date for this story was the 30th of January to the 6th of March, 1971. The writer for the story is Don Houghton. This is the second and final story written by Don. We previously discussed his work in Inferno, which makes sense. It was yeah. referred to in the story. The director for this story is Timothy Combe. This is the third and final story for Timothy. Previously we discussed his work in Evil of the Daleks and also in Doctor Who and the Silurians.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mind of Evil went badly over <laughs> Uh, Thanks in no small part to the helicopter that was real. Um, and so Barry Letts wasn't impressed. Like I'm sure he was impressed with the outcome but not impressed with the financial management of the story. Yeah. And therefore, he took Timothy Combe off his list of directors, and Combe never worked on the program again after that. Hmm. The story had the working titles of the Pandora Machine, Man Hours, the Pandora Box, and the Pandoras' yes, Box. I don't, I don't really get the Pandora reference, except maybe that Barnum. They took away all of the evil, and all that was left was good? Maybe? Yeah, it but, it, a bit... but it
1: was in Pandora's box in the sense of, like, all the bad shit gets out, but, like, hope remains inside the box.
0: Yeah, it's like an inverse.
1: Yeah, it's it's weird. Yeah,
0: it's weird. Man Hours is also weird. So um,
1: Yeah, it has, at least with the mind of evil, okay, fair enough. Yes, there is a weird, evil brain kind of going around
0: mm. So, viewers will realise, or will, viewers will recognise when the Doctor and Fu Peng are speaking that the Doctor is actually subtitled. This is the first, and possibly it's the only time in Classic Who this has happened. It maybe hasn't, I don't think it's happened in New Who either, where the Doctor himself has subtitles. We've seen other characters have subtitles,
2: yeah.
0: um, and particularly we'll see it again in Curse of Fenric and a couple of others were other characters or something like but never the doctor himself this is the first and possibly only time we've seen it now they are speaking Hokkien. Hokkien. yeah uh, and the reason for that is pixen Lim, um who is also in this uh, that was the only uh dialect that uh she was comfortable teaching john Pertwee. <laughs> <laughs> you know, obviously John had to come across as being somewhat fluent in the language. And so that was the only one that she was comfortable teaching him hmm. to a level where it would come across okay. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where like you see the line in there like, oh my Hokkien is a little bit rusty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sort of trying to cover his own ass. The Chinese dragon. Uh <laughs> Uh, it was nicknamed Puff the Magic Dragon, <laughs> and the intention was the effect was so bad they just tried to limit it as 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 much as possible. <laughs> they, they were like, no, this isn't really working. This is one of only eleven Doctor Who stories to not feature the TARDIS. Okay, we had a lot of last season. The TARDIS wasn't there either. Though the console was. Is the eleventh story not to feature the TARDIS? Hayden Jones um was Vosper on screen, mm. so one of the inmates or whatever. Um, he also did the voice for the Dalek that the doctor hears when uh the colour machine is on. The uh missile. Yeah. Now I watched the behind the sofa on the Blu-ray collection for this. And they're like, that missile looks really realistic. Like, how did they get it to look realistic? It was a real missile. Apparently, according to the behind the sofa thing, Barry had to get a developed a really good relationship with the army hmm. um it's you know where a lot of the design for the uniforms came from they used a lot of army bases and stuff like that and so they actually managed to get a loan of a real unprimed and i'm going to have to read this out bloodhound 2 sagw missile from the 36th heavy air defense regiment out of horseshoe barracks in essex the master's men, the sort of eight yeah. army, like undercover army people or whatever, mm. or the guys in uniform, they were actually eight Marines <laughs> that were also loaned out.
1: Jesus Christ, they really did go over fucking budget.
0: <laughs> yeah, but apparently, some of that was Barry. Apparently, he'd actually developed a really good relationship mm. with the army, so they used a lot of army bases for things and stuff like that. I suppose the idea being that, like, fans want to be in units it's a similar thing like i was talking to uh norm from mission log the other day mm. about stargate and how stargate sg1 the program was heavily supported by the air force
2: mm.
0: obviously because they wanted people to join the air force yeah um and i think that was a similar thing with this according to what was on behind the sofa that I mean, it was very much barry um making those contacts.
1: But like am I incorrect in saying like, but you know the the exterior shot of Cheyenne Mountain or whatever it's called. Yeah. Isn't that an actual yeah. Air Force facility? Yeah.
0: Yeah it is, yeah. Um the exterior of Cheyenne Mountain, like Cheyenne Mountain is actually where NORAD is based. Yeah. That, that's a real thing.
2: Hmm.
0: Um and the Stargate uh command is under NORAD. Hmm. So that is actually a, a real it, it you see it in a lot of other movies and stuff as well. Yeah um but i think there was a similar case here from from what i gathered a couple of original script shifts so originally the brigadier was going to be captured at stangmore prison Ooh. along with the doctor and joe and he had the missiles route changed to enable the masters meant to hijack it like the master hypnotized him
1: mm.
0: i'm glad we didn't have that because i don't want to see the brigadier hypnotized yeah him. no one of the weapons used by the Caller Machine was an image of a Gorgon type monster, which the Doctor would destroy by showing its own reflection in a mirror. Mm. Mm, we've seen a Gorgon before, though. Yeah. In. Mine robber. That's the one. Um, and originally, the script played up the tension between the United States and China. Chin uh, Li was attempting to frame the American delegate for Tech's murder. That was the original thing, which kind of makes sense.
1: Yeah, I'll get I'll get into that in the overall because like there's a couple of things here like that. Like, clearly, this is like an actual. They're playing really heavily on the whole yellow peril type stuff that was going on at the time.
0: Playing a bit because you do also have the doctor meeting the new delegate, and that yeah. being
1: but, which is also very weird because like like Chairman Mo, though to my understanding, like isn't probably you know like. It seems odd that the Doctor would be friends with him. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, we'll probably get into that more yeah. later on. Also, originally the machine was just going to be that. It was going to be a machine. Hmm. That, that, that's what it, all it was intended to be. But during the rewrites of the episodes, Tyrone Sticks kind of realized that there was a number of plot holes and things that were cropping up because the machine seemed to be... A, self-willed like sentient thing so he rewrote bits of it to sort of help make sense with that so we mentioned um some of the characters there chinley the delegates uh for china etc mm-hmm. um the chinese characters are played by chinese actors thank you dr who yeah for appropriately <laughs> casting people for roles um Apparently, this is because Timothy Cohn hated actors in Yellowface. Now, the reason given for why he hated it is because he felt it was unrealistic. I would hope he also hated it because it's, like, a morally, like, shit thing to do.
1: See, because, like, I think, you know, when they, like, we discussed, like, brownface in the mm-hmm. William Hartnell era, yeah. uh, particularly in stuff like uh, The Crusade, yeah, and like while that is also bad Mm. i like i think when it comes to yellow face it's an awful lot worse because like obviously there's like physical characteristics that are very different between like caucasians Mm. and asians and africans and stuff like that but like the worst i think is like when they they do the stuff with the eyes to give them like the slanted look and it's like i hate that i think i think
0: the one example that everyone sort of refers to is breakfast tiffany's right uh
1: well that's more so the buck teeth. Yeah. Uh, which is I think more a slant uh, or like a slur on Japanese people, but all but I think mm-hmm. yeah, just there. But no, it's like um, we'll talk about it when it comes to Tansu Wang Chiang. But I I also like there's other real shows. Like, I mean, the the show Kung Fu had a Caucasian character playing an Asian role, but they mm-hmm. I think they put kind of makeup to kind of slant the eye, so that it like, there's less of the eye open like that. That kind of shit is like, it's just I hate it, you know. Yeah, no,
0: that's that's fucked up. Um Christopher Coombe? Coom K U M. I'm gonna go with Coombe. Yeah. Um, he played the delegate Fu Peng. Mm-hmm. Um he was cast at the last minute. Uh the original actor, uh, Timothy Coombe thought was unsuitable for the role. Thankfully Coombe had done some acting before. He was also an agent, so um he'd done a little bit of acting before and he could speak the correct dialect <laughs> needed for the role. Mm. Don Houghton the writer of the story, his wife is Pixen Lim, who played Captain Shin Li. So she was actually in the episode. Um, and apparently she was actually pregnant at the time. And oh. so her costume had to be kind of adjusted slightly uh, to accommodate it. So on to the rest of our cast. So oh. as Dr. Summers, we have Michael Sheard. So we previously saw Michael in the arc. And we'll see him again in Pyramids of Mars, The Invisible Enemy, Castrovala, and Remembrance of the Daleks. His non-who credits, I mean, his Admiral, Ozz- his Admiral Ozzel. <laughs> fuck, <laughs>
1: like, that's him. That's him. I was like...
0: It's Scarman.
1: The... <laughs> like, nice Cause, Scarman. Because I was like, who the fuck is he in Pyramids? And He's like,
0: nice Scarman.
1: Like, seriously, like a bit of facial hair completely changes a person's appearance
0: because i was watching it going he looks very familiar i think he also filled out a little bit um yeah years. um but yeah uh so he is the nicest scarman mm-hmm. in one of the should we say it's one of the best episodes doctor who ever met well um
1: it was a week uh for people we i think we discussed before we did pyramids as a test run mm-hmm. for this podcast yeah. And obviously, we're going to like redo it because yeah. you know we want to show you like the new and improved version of it. But pyramids is one that I always tell people: this is what you if you want to watch a classic Who story, this is one of the ones I always recommend. Mm.
0: It's also um, Norm from Mission Log. It's, it's, his, fav- it's yeah. his favorite.
1: Yeah, favorite. Yeah, I that's think true. yeah, it was Norm requested that we do that one as a test run, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Norm. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so back to Michael. Uh, Michael is Admiral Ozzle mm-hmm. from The Empire Strikes Back. He was also in Grange Hill as Mr. Bronson. Um, He's also played Hitler several times including in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Mm. And he's also played Heinrich Himmler apparently a number of times.
1: <laughs> Jesus Christ, the poor bastard. <laughs> it's,
0: it's a weird resume. It's like, you know, mm. I was Admiral Oswald, a member of the Space Nazis. Yep. I have also played Hitler. And one of his like <laughs> chief like someone advisors. that could, be, someone <laughs> like that's
1: Jesus. arguably worse than Hitler.
0: Poor Michael. He's such mm. a lovely actor as well. Mm. Um, Michael passed away back in two thousand five. As Barnum, who I will just say right now, when I wrote my notes, mm. I had to go back over my notes again because I had written his name down as Burnham mm. <laughs> the whole way down. <laughs> <laughs> but I had to go back and change it. So as Barnum, we have Neil McCarthy. This is the first of two Doctor Who acting appearances for Neil. We will see him again in The Power of Croll. His non-who credits include Zulu, Where Eagles Dare, Clash of the Titans, Zedcars, Armadale Farm, and Who Pays the Fireman*. In case some of you are new to Time Travelling Team and you wonder why the hell did she pause for a weird amount of time around Where Eagles Dare, Paddy, would you care to explain?
1: Where Eagles Dare. Is a movie I absolutely love. And every time we have someone that has appeared on it, going back as far as Marco Polo with Darren Nesbitt, I just, you know, do a little bit of a shuffle in my chair because I love Free Eagles there. It's so, so good. And he's not even in it for that long, unfortunately. But he is great. He is the Benton of that movie. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And his other movie, Zulu, I have watched I, I, this is gonna sound really weird okay i i watched zulu when i was a kid love it great movie fantastic very factionally inaccurate but it's a great film when my daughter was born i was reading a book about the particular conflict that that war that movie set in and because i was reading the book the night my daughter was born i went home and rather than sleep i watched zulu <laughs> <laughs> um, he's great in it, he's basically a farmer that got bored of his life in Wales and ends up going to join the military and he just bemoans the fact that you can't have a good farm in any of uh, Zulu land like, he's just like, they're examining the grass and all this type of shit and he bonds with a calf and it's it's sad when the calf dies and I'm spoiling the whole movie, watch the movie okay. and Clash of the Titans is again one of the best examples of Ray Harryhausen's stop motion movies mm. Because uh, it's you know the whole thing of Medusa and Perseus and oh it's such a really good movie and Neil McCarthy is great in it he's fantastic mm-hmm. in all of those movies.
0: Mm-hmm. Also, I need to go a bit more into his IMDb history. Surely this guy has played like Lurch or something. somewhere he has such a Lurch face.
1: He suffers from he suffered from acromalgy, so it's the thing that distorts your facial muscles.
0: I now I feel like a dick
1: it's you, um it's i think it's more so you'd see it a lot of people that suffer from gigantism like i mm. say like andre the giant or paul white mm. the big shore and that kind of stuff whereas paul white seems to just from the the larger scale of things andre the giant you know he had a very distinct face whereas mm. neil suffered from it but didn't get the height mm. uh thing it's just so his face is very hardened mm. and i think again that's why He plays Calabas in Clash of the Titans, and the makeup really accentuates that, Mm. because his character is like a a monster, essentially.
0: Okay, I feel like a bit of a dick now, but I didn't know that, so... Mm.
1: (laughs) But the guy that plays Lurch, I think, suffers from it as well, so... Which
0: could be where I got from. Um, Neil passed away in 1985. Lastly, as Mailer, we have William Marlowe. This is the first of two Doctor Who acting credits for William. We'll see him again in Revenge of the Cybermen. He's one of the technicians on mm. the space station. His non who credits include Standards, The Chief, The Gentle Touch, Breakaway, The Legend of Robin Hood, Zed Cars, and The Avengers. William passed away in 2003.
1: We have a ding for Zed Cars. We have a double ding because two people are in Zed Cars.
0: We do. Yeah. We do. Thus endeth the trivia. So, we have gone through our story recap thank you again Paddington we You're have gone welcome. through trivia okay. now it is time for our character discussion so in this section we have the doctor we have the companions of Joe the Brig and to in my opinion a slightly lesser extent Yates and Benton Yeah. we have prominent characters who you gave Summers and Barnum mm-hmm. and then we have the villains of the master Mailer and the machine or the creature in the machine
1: or as i like to call them the mm collective <laughs> <laughs> um yeah like we, we'll, we'll get into the extent of yates and benton um uh, partially because like, i think benton has a lot more to do in this particular story yes, than he did in the previous story All um right. so yeah so i suppose will we crack on with the doctor
0: indeed we shall so what do you think of the doctor this time around?
1: I feel like the Doctor's attitude in this story should have mm. been the attitude he had in the last story.
0: Okay.
1: So we finally realize the severity of the Master being let loose in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. We actually see him have like have a good relationship with Joe. They're very pally in it, which is great. Mm-hmm. Like To the extent of, you know, when they play drafts in the room and Joe wins, he's like, well, you know, pff, it's a simple game anyway. Like he just throws <laughs> a little bit, like kind of a... A half-hearted strop but it's great to actually see them have that relationship it's great to see them actually be friends
2: mm.
1: also like we talked about last week you know where he seemed very cavalier to the fact that fucking a lot of people had died as well as an innocent man being killed
2: mm.
1: here his line about also being impacted by barnum's death because like you know it's joe is very f- devastated over it and he's like, well, you know, how do you think it affects me as well? I'm like, that's what I was fucking missing from last week. That's the doctor that actually cares about shit. Like, you know, thank, thank you for fucking turning up. Um, I think he does, he he hams up, as I said last week, he kind of hams up the fucking, the torture thing. Now, I have a mm-hmm. question for you. Did you watch this in black and white or in colour?
0: I have the DVD, so I watched it in colour. Okay, The DVD, my... the, so for, for context people, um, the colour tapes of this were lost. um, So it was a missing, but not really missing story. They had mm. the black and white ones. Mm-hmm. um, And it, if you have the DVD, it's been completely recolorized. Yeah. So there yeah. is no black and white on the DVD so or I on a, the Blu-ray.
1: I have an older version. So I have the the black and white. Mm. Uh, so that's why like the some of the past enemies were very hard to make out. <laughs> mm. uh, I'm surprised they picked them the sensorites because I wouldn't really classify the sensorites as a whole as a, a baddie.
0: No, yeah, me
1: it, was like, it was like three of them, but um, I, I I just think there was like this was a much better showing for the doctor this time around. Mm. <sighs> very curious that again, he is. No, maybe at the time because I'm just trying to see like when he died, like when Mao Tse Tong died, because if he was still alive at that stage and yeah, he, he died like five years later, but you know, he was, uh, he had a lot of bad shit under his belt. So like, I'm kind of surprised that the doctor would say like, he has a very close personal relationship with this guy. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But it's actually going to, that's going to be something that I'll probably comment on as we go on in terms Mm -hmm. of cultural heroes versus the people that from other cultures that would vilify that individual. You
0: know, yeah, and I wonder if that's kind of what they were trying to go for here—that like, from like the person the doctor was speaking to
1: hmm.
0: from his perspective.
1: Yeah, well, he's a, he's being a, Nash- a
0: close friend of Chairman Mao. That, that that
1: yeah, national hero. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like,
0: um, well. so maybe that's what they were trying to do. Possibly, or like it was the doctor just sort of
1: schmoozing, play
0: acting. But yeah. I don't know if he—I I didn't come across that he was play acting.
1: No. See, I think I was just so happy with how the Doctor was this time around compared to last week that uh, maybe any ne- any other major negatives, I didn't really focus on a whole lot.
0: Hmm.
1: Or they just didn't stand out to me. But I, I just, I enjoyed him this time around.
0: Yeah, I had, I have a slightly different view. Okay. There were still a lot of things in this that bothered me. I think he was better than last week. Mm-hmm. But then I try. Then I remember that this week is six episodes, and Mm. last week was four.
1: Oh, I did not like him hurting Barnum.
0: Yeah. So Uh, there's a few things here that I didn't like. Right. So his comments. Okay. You mentioned that he and Joe they play checkers. You know, he tells her stories. Whatever. That's very sweet, and and I love seeing that develop. Right. mm -hmm. So good thing there. However, his comments to her about not doing as she is told. Even after she saved him from the machine, mm-hmm. those types of comments that he makes to her mm. are still very demeaning and are really putting her in a childish light. Do you know? Like We find out later in the story that like Joe offers him a gun and he says, no, you're trained to use that. I, they scare me or whatever he says. He clearly, some part of him does recognize the fact that she was trained by unit. Mm. Do you know, she does know how to use a gun and all this kind of stuff. And he acknowledges that fact. But then he's like, you know, my instructions are to be followed. You like, And he's like, you could have gotten hurt, but he never says thank you. Hmm. Do you know? And he's like, you can you actually follow instructions this time? And I'm like, fuck off. <laughs> like, it's this weird thing with John's doctor that I won't say I never noticed it before. Like with, like the Doctor Who stories I'd, I'd watched before this go through, because I had. Hmm. But the last two weeks with joe i'm like okay when are we i'm hoping that by the end of the story we've sort of accomplished that hurdle but there was another bit at the end so i will say another thing i liked i do like how he rushed to her he rushed to joe's aid Mm -hmm. when she was kidnapped he has clearly learned something from what he did to liz in Mm -hmm. ambassadors of death where he didn't give a fiddler's monkey right so that was great that was great like i said the talking to her playing checkers that was great acknowledging her unit training that was good i actually found his reaction to barnum incredibly frustrating okay now this may have to do with my current mindset right just gonna put that out there right but joe had developed a friendship with barnum you know a sort of protective dynamic with him Hmm. she clearly cared very deeply for him she went out of her way to make sure that he was okay that he was well cared for herself and summers together they kind of took took him under their wing shall we mm. say and she's understandably devastated that he died yeah and then the doctor's like well how do you think i feel there's no need to make it about you she's allowed to vent her emotions without you kind of phrasing it that she's saying all these things is making you feel even more guilty And I'm like, no, back up, back up. Like you can have your separate guilt Mm. and she can vent her upset without you. Because the way he says it a little bit harshly, he's a little bit cutting. I was like, well, how do you think I feel? I was like, well, why should you feel any worse than she does? You used him as a shield. Mm. She actually knew him. So, yeah, you can feel whatever you want. That doesn't belittle how she feels.
1: See, this is the thing that I didn't read. I didn't read it that way, mm. but again, as I said, I am viewing this with a bit of roast into glasses because of how very undoctor like his his attitude towards stuff was last week. Mm. So anything that I can take away from it as a positive, that's what I was looking. That's what I was looking at here. Mm. But see. It, I kind of you know my mind is going back. Like we talked about, you know, when Victoria left, uh, Fury from the deep, mm. and you know he, would, the Doctor, just goes Well, you know, I, uh, was it? I love to. Like he said, like, I'll miss her too, or mm. something like. I miss that. her too, or something. Yeah, like that. I miss her too. Yeah, something along those lines. Um, so I was like, was that also kind of selfish, or was that empathy? And is the doctor just not very good at empathy? I well, which is bullshit yeah, because I- we've seen him be good at empathy, like.
0: Yeah, the, the way I see it is that, like, Joe was basically saying that, like, she wanted to protect Barnum. Mm-hmm. And she felt like she failed in that. He trusted her. He did basically whatever she told him to do. And he died because of it. Yeah. Do you know? Barnum didn't know the doctors. Barnum knew Joe. And trusted Joe. Yeah. And, you know, she possibly felt that she played on that trust. And then he died. And yeah, the fact that it was the doctor's idea he's it's sort of made out a little bit to me. Again, this is just my reading. i would be really interested in what our listeners think of mm. this particular scene because the way it came out to me was, you know, you think you feel bad? How do you think I feel? As if the doctor's pain at Barlum's death is so much more important than Joe's mm. and so much greater than Joe's. And, you know, he can feel however much pain he wants. That's entirely his thing right you know different people react differently but the way he phrases it because she says sorry i think and i'm like don't apologize like you're allowed to have your own emotions joe and he's not allowed make you feel bad for venting them so mm. you know? maybe that's just my mindset at the moment i'm particularly sensitive to that stuff <laughs> at the moment but it, ju- it just rubbed me the wrong way
1: I, I I can I can see how it would I can see how mm. it would, yeah. um. But again, as yep. silly, I, I just might have the rose tinted glasses on, you know?
0: yeah. Um, the other thing is that like, and I won't say I hate it because the brigadier laughs it off. But his comment at the end of "Oh, the master can go off to any planet he wants. He can travel in time and space, and I'm stuck here with you, brigadier."
2: Mm.
0: And it's like. These people treat you practically like family. Could you be less of a dickhead, please?
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> In saying that, though, and going off what I literally just said, he is also entitled to his emotions, and he's yeah. entitled to be to feel frustrated and confined and whatever. But like, leave the brigadier alone.
1: Yeah. Poor brigadier. He
0: feeds you. He houses you. <laughs> like.
1: He clothes you. <laughs> he clothes
0: you. He gave you a car. You
1: know, mm. will we move on to the companions?
0: Yeah. So, what order would you like to go in?
1: I think now that we've established the people, we can, we'll do our usual thing of permanent and then auxiliary. Okay. Yeah. So that would be Joe the Brigadier. I'm going to go Benton and Yates. Yeah,
0: I, I would agree with mm,
1: that. Yeah. With that, yeah. So Joe. I think it was a good outing for Joe today. It was a so great outing for Joe.
0: I was concerned about Joe last week. Um, hmm. Nothing against Katie. Mm-hmm. Katie was great. Yeah. But Joe was overly clumsy last week. To the point of, like, how did Unity even let her go investigate a factory by herself?
1: See, that's the thing. Like, I've been looking at that. I was looking at it and seeing them, like, did she go off on her own accord? Because.
0: No, I think it was she drew up the list and, she, you know, she pulled that one. And Benton pulled a different one and Yates pulled a different one and whatever.
1: But but see, they, that like, I know we're taking away from this episode, yeah. but then it makes no sense because like she can't remember which factory she went to. But if she was assigned... Well, maybe she went to a few. If she was assigned the factory, then it was like, well, clearly you know which one she fucking went to. Well, maybe she went to a few of them. Possibly. Um,
0: or maybe she was the one who was sent to scope them out.
1: Or maybe it's know. just bad script writing. <laughs> or
0: maybe it's just a plot <laughs> hole.
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Fucking plot holes.
0: Uh, this week was a much better outing. There was a lot less of the clumsy nature. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the closest we got to it was her, um, freeing the doctor from the machine, the machine's influence, and him saying you were meant to take this to the governor, and she said, "Yeah, well, I thought it was important." Mm. And the machine was trying to kill you. <laughs> um, and he he ber- oh he fucking braids her for it. Mm. Mm. anyway. Um, I much prefer this Joe over mm. last week's Joe because she's presented as much more capable. Like, clearly, she's efficient with a weapon.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Clearly, while well, she probably isn't the strongest person, you know, trays and hitting people over the head. Cool. She's got that sorted. Like, at one point, like, no, I know the brigadier comes in at the end and shoots your man.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mailer. But when Mailer's taking him down the steps, Joe pushes back into him to knock yeah. him over and is like, now doctor as in go Mm -hmm. like leave and the doctor turns around and goes to run back up it's like dude she literally like other way go the other way like that was your getaway moment and she very like she's perfectly willing to throw herself into harm's way which i thought was great particularly like when she destabilized the riot i thought that was brilliant
1: Um, i like that's the thing is that like (sighs) no it might be a small bit Exa- exaggerated mm. but I think that if it had come down to a one on one fight between Mailer and Joe I think for at least for the start of it joe might have a chance of success if she could keep him fucking frustrated but yeah. i think the situation the longer the situation will go on the more at a disadvantage she is
0: yeah i don't i don't think joe was like a highly qualified agent <laughs> yeah. but she did have training and she yeah. did use it and like i said her destabilization of the riot or like the takeover of the mm. jail at, at, the, at the first takeover
1: i love that sequence that was really good that was oh, like, so good so to just des- to describe it for everyone joe kicks mailer's arm holding the gun and she kicks it so that obviously like, she's the gun goes off and hits a prisoner but joe kicks his arm in t- so that it's aiming towards a group of prisoners so that if the gun does go off it's going to hit them mm. she then picks it up rushes over to vosper fires the gun into the air to show her that show him that she is serious at which point like, all the guards are kicking the shit out of the prisoners but there's no tippiness. Over like she has the gun and she means fucking business yeah. there's no like there's like there's no double holding of us you know at a very shaky angle she's holding it one handed in the air and she's like yeah
0: yeah so Joe like, is the doctor mentions it later like you're yeah. trained to use that I'm not yeah whatever um, it's also great to see her taking care of Barnum Um, mm. and even standing up to Gay oh, it wasn't Gay it was Benton and whatever the other officer was yeah.
2: Um,
0: that you know Barnum stays here mm-hmm. get him some food yeah Get, like, and i love that and it's because you you sort of see all the different aspects you have the sweet joe you have the joe who is a unit agent i mm-hmm. suppose i kind of take it the way like you know peggy carter didn't have a rank she was agent carter yeah i sort of imagine that she's technically like agent grant <laughs> do you know yeah That's sort of my, my my brain on that um but yeah i think she, i think she was great the story
1: No, she she was, yeah, fantastic. And like, she lost none of what makes her appealing. But she gained all the stuff that made her look like a incompetent Mm. person. Like, you know?
0: Yeah. Like, you can kind of see in this story why whoever in her family got her into unit, Mm. why they even allowed that to happen. Yeah. (laughs) Do you know? Mm. Because last week it was kind of like... Did she just have lots of hobbies and yeah. like her uncle was like, we need somewhere to put her? Whereas with this, you can actually believe that. Yeah, yeah she may be, still be a bit of a klutz. That's fine, but she's capable,
1: which is but, great. Yeah, like, but like we're two, we're two stories into Joe now, and like we've got three. We got like what thirteen left to go, I think.
0: Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, yeah.
1: T- enough, yeah. Like, this is, for me, I this can is... Count. Yeah, <laughs> go you. But for me, this is already a contender for best performance. Oh, I, I agree in, so. In her rambling, like...
0: Yeah, I've, I've seen a few others, like, off and on yeah. over the years. And an
1: But I, I love when it's this early into a character's run that we already have a contender.
0: Mm. I would say the same thing was true with Liz. Um, well... No, obviously, <laughs> Liz didn't stay around for yeah. as long. But if you were watching that on broadcast, you wouldn't have known that.
1: Yeah, no, not a hope.
0: No. Yeah, and and yeah, this is great. Yeah. Then we have the Brigadier.
1: I fucking love him here. Like, this is brilliant. He has so many fucking good moments here. And like, you're like telling Yates to stop grinning like a Cheshire cat. Um, Who else was there? The whole thing of like the doctor says, because like, like the doctor goes, Fu Peng, hmm must be Hokkien. And uh, the regulator goes, No, no, Doctor, he's Chinese. <laughs> 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 and like like he like Mick Courtney plays exasperated so good. Because oh like God. he's he gets completely exasperated when the doctor and Fu Peng are just talking amongst themselves mm. and he's like kind of like trying to get a, a word in edgeways. Like his interactions with Benton, like oh like, you he jokingly kind of going with Benton's head, oh I suppose you want to lie down. <laughs> That type of thing, but he's such a proud papa of Benton, like as in episodes five and six, he's like yeah. such a proud papa. But we always talk about the brig leading from the front, yeah. and he does it here, but yeah. in the most glorious way possible by putting on a cockney accent, <laughs> disguised as a tradesman, or like, or like a delivery driver.
0: It's so good.
1: Oh, he's it's like, so Oh, good. he's got like, I've you know, got supplies for the governor, you know, tuck. Food. <laughs> just, oh, you oh.
0: can imagine him thinking back to like basic and like how do the guys in basic talk? Or oh, my you know, it's like he's clearly pulling that one. Over. Oh,
1: it's it's just fucking awesome. Like and like the sequence of the attack on the the prison again. Mm. It's the break. Just like Christ Almighty. Like the prisoners have the high ground. They, like, yep. Unfortunately, he drew the Anakin stick here in this example <laughs> one, but. He overcame. He uh, and like, because he, he, like, like the courtyard is massive, and the prisoners obviously have the the advantage of the guard towers. Mm. But no, he's in the fucking middle of it, signaling his men on. He's not ducking for cover. He he's he like you know, with kinda, his
0: pistol. I love with, like, with his pistol. My thing about the Brigadier is he does all of this with the pistol. It's mm. like he doesn't have a rifle.
1: Yeah,
0: he just always has just a pistol. And I'm not a weapons expert, right by any stretch. But I find that very charming in some respects.
1: After a certain distance, it's gone, yeah, completely inaccurate. You know? yeah. <laughs> but his, his whole thing of like standing in the center and signaling his men on, it very reminds you of like, you know, sharpswater lures. Like, see me, lads, I'm your color, follow me. Hmm. That's where it is. Like He is the, the flag the guys follow. And I, I, that's why I love the Brigadier, because it's not the title, and it's, it's, it's him. It is Alistair Gordon F. Bridge Stewart that they follow.
0: One of the things I noticed in this, and you kind of mentioned it there uh, with the whole he's Chinese comment, yeah. is <laughs> the Brig doesn't really lean heavily into the international relations side of UNIT. No. <laughs> which he <you> probably should. <laughs> yeah. United Nations in terms of... Work. However, I'm going to defend the Brigadier in this, right? Mm-hmm. That replacement delegate, uh, Fu Peng, was that his name? Fu Peng, yeah. He was an, he was an asshole. <laughs> right? I get it, Right. He's affronted because this Westerner didn't abide by custom Hmm. in his initial introduction. This Westerner doesn't know your customs. That is his failing, right? He also doesn't know your fucking language. Yeah. He is the security manager, basically, for the conference. And you ignored him the entire time he was there. You didn't answer a single fucking question. You didn't... You had an interpreter in the form of the doctor. If you wanted to stay speaking your own language, the doctor could have translated for you. And instead, you were an asshole. And I get that he has his own customs to follow, and that's fine. But a guy died, and this is the man who's meant to be investigating us. (laughs) To not speak to him is super sus. Yeah. And I, don't, I got really like because you could tell that he was like, "What the shit? What the shit was that like?"
1: But I, I think that's the thing with uh, with Nick is that he he plays it so well that you there are times you just can't help but laugh at it. Yeah. I mean, like when like Cosworth keeps in, interrupting him about the plans and like, he just keeps looking up at him as if to say, "Do you mind?" <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, he does seem very stressed in this story. Mm. Um, it's kind of interesting to see Unit as a sort of security thing leading into the more the United Nations side than the intelligence task force as opposed to the
1: which spooky person do we fight this week
0: yeah so like he's very stressed and I actually thought it was very sweet that he fell asleep in his office Mm. and you can imagine that the is it the corporal or whatever that was yeah corporal bell yeah you can kind of imagine that she came in and just closed the curtains
1: Mm.
0: and just left him sleep yeah do you know? But
1: again, loyalty to the man more so than the position.
0: Yeah, and in person he does take that stress out on people and the wrong people at times, like Benton. Yeah. You know when oh, Benton loses. Poor Benton. Um, Jin Lee. Jin Lee originally. I like, think you had a headache, and you fainted. Right. Do you want to go for a nap? Like, <laughs> do you know, like. It's not fair because it's not Benton's fault. But mm. then again, the Brigadier has no other evidence other than this guy just said he had a pain in his head and then he fell over. Yeah, and then she was gone. So, you know, you can't really blame him too much. But and he does come right in the end. Like I mm. said, he has that proud parent moment when he you know makes Benton the acting governor, governor of, the, of, the prison, of, the, yeah. of the prison and stuff like that, and <laughs> you know. You know, he watches as Benton takes his seat yeah. and like, gets his papers sorted, and then like he makes that passing comment of, you know, don't let this go to your head. Yeah. You know, and it's great because we mentioned that before that, like, I I always sort of get the sense with the brig and Benton that it's not that, like because we talk about in Inferno
1: mm-hmm.
0: where Benton was getting in on the joke and yeah. the brig sort of went you, sergeant yeah as if like, to remind him. Um, And he doesn't do it with Benton in a cruel way. And you sort of, I I still expect that like the reason he's doing it is that when Benton eventually moves on to his next post, he'll be, he'll he'll be a better. Yeah. Officer. He'll be a better, better soldier for the lessons that he's learned. Plus I think the
1: brigadier knows that only let them in so much Mm. because if I go, Mm. the person that's replacing me, may not want the same relationship and
0: or you know benton may end up like jimmy
1: yeah jimmy
0: jimmy <laughs> he could be um, perfectly
1: I'm... fine but we're just assuming that he... <laughs> <No>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we assume he died this like horrible yeah death. he's
1: like
0: <sighs> uh. remember me take care of my family like he's, yeah. he's probably fine um Again, you mentioned leading from the front. You mentioned the undercover stuff, which I thought was just oh, fucking that's brilliant.
1: So good. That's so um, good. And
0: I love that, like, he's there running across the courtyard, taking down guys or whatever. You know, he, he's signaling the men, like, come on, come on. The guys haven't even pulled in. He's like, I'm going to find the doctor. So he's just hmm. fucking out of there. It's fucking. Oh. Yeah. I love the break. I love the break. I love the break.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we have his best boys in Benton and Yates, so we said Benton first.
0: Yeah, Benton is the best boy. um, And he gets a bit of a hard doing, like, for mm. the first four episodes of this, which, you know...
1: Yeah, the whole he, he, thing.
0: The mind thing, getting a bit degraded by the Brigadier,
1: yeah.
0: then getting beaten up, and... <sighs> um, or, like, the, bri-
1: the Briggs comment to Yates about, you know, oh, like, you know, with Benton with you, you better be careful, he might lose the missile. Like, oh.
0: Come yeah, on, do you man. know, like, things like that. Like, I was like, leave Benton alone. Mm. Um, but, you know, again, he comes good. You know, he's able to restore the Brigadier's faith in him, which clearly means a lot to him. Mm. You know, he gets left in charge of the prison. um, And, you know, he's still Benton.
1: Yeah. But you is, know, throughout it...
0: all of it. Like, he could have easily thrown a strop and done a Joe from last week. Yeah. And he doesn't.
1: Receiving the team looking like he... He checked himself out in the infirmary before he was given medical excuse me, medical clearance. And like, yo, you can tell that the brig is impressed. Mm. It's like just again, just that tenacity, like, and to the extent of like, he not only does he assign Benton Mm. to a part of the uh, attack plan, he gives him a a command of a section. Yeah, like he doesn't put Cosworth or he doesn't put another ranking officer in charge of it. Mm. He leaves Benton in charge of it, which Mm. is great because you. Benton is his guy.
0: Yeah. Benton let him down at the start. Mm-hmm. Which pissed him off. Yeah. But. Okay. Benton noticed the black van. Mm-hmm. Benton, he's still got the eye on the prize. He still knows what he's doing. Okay, let, let's give him another go.
1: Yeah. And the best thing about it as well is like when Benton takes over the role of governor of the prison, he's not overwhelmed by anything. No. He just takes everything. With like, like, they tease it. I don't know what it's intentional or not, but they tease ever so slightly when he's looking for like these um uh oh, these requisition orders mm. for Summers and Barnum tries to take the phone over him, and he's like, "Look, you know, look you can go speak to whoever you want. <laughs> Just whatever. But he's able like to carry on his conversation with um Summers, but he's not like flipping the table or he's not like yep. scatterbrained everywhere. Like so it's
0: He's trying to find the file. But yeah. He's also a sergeant and uh, he's not the he's not the brigadier's personal aid at this point but um you know he's used to he knows what paperwork to look for just the desk is a mess and he used to find it
1: and it's great actually seeing him be present in throughout the majority of the story here as opposed to last week where like we kind of had we had to sacrifice screen time for him for the master joe and yates coming in
0: Hmm.
1: so speaking of yates
0: (laughs) yeah don't be such a creep mike okay It is not done to refer to a captain of a foreign military as a doll in front of your own commanding officer, or even just in general. And like, I kind of have to say the brigadier, like the Cheshire cat smile, like, Mm. Mike, you know, the brigadier calls Benton on it to, you know, remember your place Mm -hmm. in terms of how you deal with superiors or whatever. Mike needs to remember his place. Yeah. You know, like, he's not really learning as much from the Brigadier as Benton does. No. He, he doesn't is. take the lessons on board. Um, and to be honest, I still don't really like him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, uh, I, don't, I have two, re- two real notes on him. One is, you there, stop that grinning. <laughs> and the other one is that, like, um, he really needs to work on his espionage skills.
0: Yeah. Like, you get the feeling that he thinks he's James Bond. Yeah.
1: Because, like, <sighs> there's, like, at least 500 yards of open ground surrounding that airfield. And I think he hides behind an oil barrel. And when he tries to take off on his motorbike, again, it's like, God, oh, clearly, it's like, oh wait, there's a guy over there on a motorbike.
0: <laughs> oh, and looks like one of the motorbikes we saw earlier. Yeah. Nah. And your man's in military uniform.
1: So... At the moment, he's 0 for 2, but we'll see what next week will bring us.
0: Yeah, I still hold out hope. Yeah. I hold out. People love Yates. Hmm. I want to see the Yates that these people love because I haven't <laughs> seen him yet. <sighs> I'm really hoping it's not a Stephen thing all over again. Where some people love Stephen and we never did.
1: Yeah, no. And
0: I'm hoping it's not that.
1: Like, i can just imagine like in you know, like the we love mike yates the annual we love mike yates society interrupted by two loud-mouthed irish people flying a benton flag <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then you've got the the benton yates shippers in the corner being like yeah. you can love both <laughs> <sighs>
1: oh. so now we have our prominent characters
0: yeah so again we've discussed this in the past patty usually comes up with the character list and then like, mm. I, I i watched the episode in more minutes about it after but um I don't really have much to say about either of them. I, they're prominent characters because they're in it a lot.
1: Well, like, see, okay, like, Chin um, Li
0: would have been a prominent character for the first half.
1: Only two episodes though.
0: Okay, it's the first third then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but she was a prominent character right. there. But you know, see, and, and the,
1: we, and we're not discussing her. So. But uh, here's the difference, right? Is that at that time, Chin Li is not at no point is Chin Li under her own control. So she's sure. essentially a puppet. No, so there not- was
0: Rex really last week. We discussed him.
1: But see, Rex rebelled a lot. Are we di-
0: Rex rebelled a little. Well, like I we- wouldn't say who- I didn't say he rebelled uh, anywhere like oh, Chin Lee rebelled oh, as well. Like,
1: well, okay, we saw we saw multiple occasions of Rex attempting to rebel. Whereas with Chin Lee, we didn't really see a whole pile.
0: Okay. But anyway, with, with Summers and Barnum, right? Summers doesn't care that he works in a prison. He's a doctor. That's his job. Um, I love how protective he is of both Joe and later Barnum. Mm-hmm. And I love that he sort of has this do no harm thing with Barnum where, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't realize obviously that Barnum isn't fa- affected by the machine. And his first thing is just get him away from the machine.
2: Yeah. Do you
0: know? And like, he he's almost like, Joe, what the hell are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, don't endanger my patient, which is great. Um, it's nice to have a doctor character that is just a nice guy.
1: But see, I think that's the that is the, a reason why I have Summers here is mm. because Summers represents that that character that is is very rare to find in Who, mm. in the sense of like he's a he's a doctor that he so cares about the patients under him, like and like regardless of what Barnum did in the past, mm. he's here to treat the man as he is now.
2: Mm.
1: Also, I like how he didn't treat Joe like a child or a nurse.
0: Mm.
1: So, I, 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 I think characters like that are very few and far between in Who. So I call me call me sentimental, but I feel like they should be loaded when they do appear. Mm. Whereas with Barnum, I'm a I'm a fucking sucker for like the gentle giant type thing.
0: My thing with Barnum is mm-hmm. I don't like how he was used. I would have rather that someone suggested they use Barnum to bring the machine to the master,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and then someone advocated for him and said no. And it yeah. didn't happen because Barnum, as we see him after he goes through the machine, and mm-hmm. my apologies if this is uh, if people take this the wrong way, right? It's not intended that way. He is mentally incapacitated. Yeah. He has very little memory. He is incredibly childlike. And he is not capable of taking care of himself. No. And he needs advocates. Mm -hmm. Summers was an advocate for him. And in many cases, so was Joe. Yeah. But he was used in this story. Almost like without his consent, really. He didn't understand. Yeah. And I have an issue with that.
1: Yeah, because, like, when the doctor, like, first of all, the doctor, now, it, it's it, it's indicated that he has, like, that, that. You often see it in characters that are presented, like Barnum, that when they mentally regress, mm. their physical strength is exceeded or it's, mm. it, it's increased for whatever reason you want to put it down as. So we have that scenario here where he tries to strangle the guard. And the doctor, like rather than trying to reason with him or whatever, he just does a fucking Venusian on him, and it hurts him. Mm-hmm. And then when Barnum is scared of the machine, the doctor like forces him back to sit down, and like then there's like no real. It's like I don't think there's an attempt to explain it in a way that he can understand it.
0: Yeah, and and that's an issue I have, and to it's an issue I have with the doctor as well. I didn't mention mm-hmm. it in the doctor part, but like. Yeah. They're using someone who is mentally incapacitated
2: hmm.
0: and who is incapable of making decisions for himself. And that, in many ways, is no better than what the Master did to Rex last week. Hmm. Yeah, you know, the Master took away Rex's free will. Yeah. Here, they're imposing what they want on Barnum's will. Mm-hmm. Knowing that he is malleable and he'll do whatever they ask. Yeah. And I have an issue with that.
1: Hmm. Yeah, no, I'd agree in the sense of, like, I would have liked, I suppose I would have liked to have seen Joe advocate for him a small bit more.
0: I would have liked to have seen someone advocate for him and Barnum say, you know, but the machine hurts Joe. I want to protect Joe. And yeah, you're kind of going into a little bit of a, a different stereotype with that. But at least you're giving Barnum his own agency.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you know? Like, I know the whole, like... you know, We, we kind of had it a little bit in... Um, Evil the Daleks, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Oh,
0: MacKembal. Um, MacKembal, right. But even if you had a little bit of that here, where Barnum is like, well, Joe is my friend. And I want to protect Joe. And the machine hurts her when I'm not there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'll help because I want to help Joe. And even just giving him that little bit of agency... I think would have been good, and it, it bothers me that the machine stripped away his negative impulses. It also stripped away all of his agency. And as opposed to advocating for a way to get that back, bring mind no one tries to restore his memory. No, no one tries to undo what the machine did to him. Hmm. They're perfectly happy that he's now mentally incapacitated and mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say he's mentally disabled as such, but like he's you know,
1: he's kind of he was mentally violated. Eff, no one, eff, no effectively, he's, start, he's starting over from scratch. Like,
0: yeah, and and no one tried to fix it. I was no. like, that that you know, again, we've six episodes here.
1: Could we not have have some sort of have um, someone? Advocate well, for that? what I what I will say is, given the events going on in the prison, there probably wasn't enough time to try any sort of rehabilitation thing, given the fact that like. You have the riot while he's still in the hospital,
2: mm.
1: and then he comes out of it and the rioting. So then it's about getting everything back to normal again. At which point the master then fucking comes. I yeah,
0: like once Summers realizes that the machine is evil mm-hmm. in its own right, I'm surprised he didn't advocate for his patient. Oh, oh yeah, yeah,
1: so I thought you meant in terms of like actually seeing scenes of people trying to work on no, him again, even
0: yeah. just question and advocate for it. Yeah, and that's that's the thing that was missing. I think there was advocacy missing here for Mm-hmm um who you know is essentially still a ward of the state
2: Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know he is still a prisoner he has not been released yet Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and you know he should be taken proper care of
1: and i think this is why like i i neil mccarthy does such a great job here because he's actually now made us have this discussion his portrayal mm-hmm. of the character has made us care about him to the extent of, like, we wanted people to fight for him. We want we want him to actually be looked after by at least someone, you know? Yeah. And I I, I hate his death. His death sequence is it. it's, it's horrible because he tries to help the master. Then he realizes he, he even looks to Joe the doctor as a sort of apology for, I, I messed up, sorry. And then he goes, I'll try and fix it. At which point yeah. he gets fucking run over. Yeah. And, yeah, it's like... It's a very distressing, it's wonderfully done, wonderfully mm. done. But in terms of the, it, it, it does its job. <laughs> like, yeah. it actually really wrenches at you. So, like, I think, yeah, Neil McCarthy did a great job of bringing this character to life.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And I'm going to take back what I said about the prominent character, but I probably, probably because he didn't have much agency, which is why putting mm. him prominent character feels weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was a tool used by others. Yeah. Which I don't agree with either.
1: So. No. Food for thought.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um, so now we have the villains. So we have the master, mailer, and the machine. Or the creature inside the machine. Or fuck it, just the mind of evil.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, or we start with mailer, and cool. then the master, and then the titular hmm. mind of evil. Mailer, typical prison gang leader, really. Mm. Yeah. I'm surprised he stuck around as long as he did.
1: Like, we've seen this sort of like, prick before, but he, like, compared to, say, like, two other characters that spring to mind when I think of Mailer are Regan from mm. Ambassadors of Death mm. and Cevcheria from the Romans. Mm. Go, cast your mind all the way back there. Yeah. Where it's like, when Mailer is on screen, I don't like. I get nothing. I don't feel any unease. I don't feel anything like that. He is—he's is just a puppet of the master. Compared to the other two guys, where and Sacheria, every time they're on, I get uneasy mm. because there's always something that they haven't played that we haven't seen yet, and I never get that with Mailer. Mm. Um. So it kind of leads me to the curious thing to say that if. I get the impression from the start of it now that Barnum is sort of like the guy in the prison at the, mm. before the whole thing starts. So I'm wondering like what he, what Mailer is like in a world where Barnum is top dog.
0: Yeah, like, I... It's sort of weird, right? I am listening to a book at the moment by a um, challenging author, I'll put that out. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, Orson Scott Card, who's a challenging individual in terms of liking his books, but I listened to the book *Ender's Shadow*, mm-hmm. um, which, if you could ignore certain things, is actually a very good book. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that is mentioned in that book is this idea of where you fit in the pecking order of bullies and what bully do you go after, and it it sort of mirrors the pecking order that you'd see at a prison. Do you mm-hmm. know, like you said, like Barnum, because like you imagine because you know they sort of they're going down through the list Hmm. you know of worst next worst yeah next worst next worst next worst etc um what it brings to my mind though is like i think it would be interesting to see like what would all of this have been like if it was mailer had gone first and barnum was the guy that's now fully functioning whatever um but the thing that uh, that I, i wonder about is uh, and your question raises it is like the machine takes away the negative impulses
1: mm.
0: and like it overloads on Barnum, which means he probably had a lot mm. of negative impulse.
1: Like, what the fuck did this guy do?
0: Yeah. But also, I wonder if the positive impulse that's left over. Like, that is Barnum. That is still mm. part of him. Yeah. So I wonder if you took away the negative parts of Mailer, what good is left? I think it'll be. It's an interesting thing because the machine didn't make Barnum the way he is. In Mm. the sense that it didn't add anything; it only took away. Mm. So, was there good in Barnum? Very deep down, is does Mailer have that same good? Mm. Very deep down,
1: possibly. Who knows? Very Megatron StarScreen relationship we're talking about here. i don't
0: understand the reference i'm sorry uh, no it's
1: like in the decepticons megatron is the head of them and starscream is like his second in command that's always saying like well i could do a fucking better job at which point, it's like yeah but you constantly get bitch slapped every time you try and make a move against them uh,
0: i am aware that decepticons are the bad guys yes Yes, and the Autobots are
1: the good guys. Yes, yes. I know that much. No, Paul and Dan
0: be very proud of me. I know that much. (laughs) Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Starscream is that kind of guy that just constantly fucking just sits there kind of going, well, I could do fucking shit better, you know, at which point it's like every time you're given the opportunity, you either fuck up or when you're called out, you kind of just kind of go, no, I wasn't saying anything, you know.
0: Well, then first in Mailer, like he does kind of, he does lead quite well. He does. Um, he rallies guys quite yeah. well, you know.
1: Well, like okay, that, I suppose it's a small bit unfair to Star Screamers so he did create his own fucking band of Decepticons. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, yeah, he repurposed all decommissioned World War II vehicles and turned them into things. Um, were they called
0: the Star Screamers? And did they have an amazing eighties metal band?
1: No, they weren't, unfortunately. Mm.
0: Uh,
1: I can't remember the specific group of them. I think they were the Combaticons. Uh, That's just a
0: title. Star Screamers would've been better. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: uh, if you're listening, Transformers writers, make that yeah. whole thing. <laughs>
1: it's like uh, robot chicken. I am Lex Luthor, and this is our band, Sex Luthor. <laughs> yeah. um, so then we have the master, and we have the machine slash creature slash mind of evil. Yeah. So,
0: so when did the master master? When did the master get Tokra technology?
1: Now, are we talking about the master? or Are we talking about the machine?
0: The master with the little thing behind Jindy's oh, yeah. ear. I don't know. Either that or the guys who made Stargate were totally oh, like going
1: and yunk. Oh, I'm pretty sure like that fucking Ivan Right Re- uh, Ivan Rettman who like who did Ghostbusters too, you know, was like kind of going, hmm, something that feeds on negative emotions. I like it. <laughs> like a cop in a donut factory. <laughs> I lo- I love that line. So this thing feeds on bad vibes. Mm. but I thing
0: again right so the master again the story right mm. okay I, okay okay i'm gonna I'm going do my positives first right i love roger roger's yeah. great i love how he plays the master i think that's fantastic the classiness the fact that like again on the behind the sofa sasha Dewan made the comment that like underneath whatever costume get up the master is wearing is his perfect suit yeah underneath do you know he's very collected he's you know he's a proper professional whatever i'm not a big fan of the writing for him though
1: before we get on to him a bit further i have to issue an apology to you and Mm. fans of roger delgado as well so what happens is before we release the episode i will listen to it for errors you know or uh, which are very 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 few or any so unfortunately while we were discussing roger last week at one point you called him robert (laughs) was, <laughs> yeah, you, when you when you were discussing his death, and you called him Robert. Oh wow! Yeah, that
0: is, that yeah. is... And, it, and that
1: slipped by me. So that's my bad. <laughs> it slipped by me both times.
0: I'm sorry. Yeah, be like kind of like shit now. We
1: called him Roger the rest of the time, but I think what it was is because Robert Holmes. I think it's like I got so
0: emotional about it. I yeah, it was, it a, it.
1: plus like I'm gonna blame Bob Holmes for this one because Bob Holmes wrote Terror of the Autons*. <laughs> probably yeah probably my
0: apologies about the roger thing i know i I love roger delgado i love the way he portrays the master i don't Mm. like the way the master is being written though because he's written as this like crazy sociopathic mastermind
2: Mm.
0: who misses the giant hole right in front of him so last week it was he had this amazing plan the Nesteans are going to invade, blah, 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 blah. Oh, but don't you realize that they will kill you too? Oh shit, they will. Why the fuck didn't I think of that? And it's the same thing this week, is that he has this creature or whatever, he built this machine around it to use it to destabilize the peace talks or mm-hmm. whatever. So thinking like 50 steps ahead, like, mm. what will happen if it doesn't want to do what I tell it to do? And he needs the doctor to come in but see, and help him figure it out. But, and I was see, like,
1: Fuck off. but see, this is the thing now, right? Right? Because I also have that point. You and I, like you, I suppose I would view it as he needs the doctor's help. In his mind, he is forcing the doctor to do his bidding because, at this, in his head, he has captured the doctor, and is now going to force him to help. He's going to force him to keep the machine under their control.
0: No, but it just makes him out to be stupid. Like, the fact that he, he is, once again, in the following story, he again has an alien consciousness that he is using that he cannot control and he needs the doctor to help him control it.
1: But he, he knows that at this stage that it might be a small bit more for him to handle. Whereas, like, it did not, it wasn't until the resolution of Terror of the Autons where he's like, uh, yeah. oh yeah, fuck it. Whereas at least it's earlier here he realizes that, well, at least I have another Time Lord here that I can use as a fucking meat shield.
0: All oh, right, yeah, but still don't. <laughs> like,
1: I, I, I get that you kind of want to see him at least take care of shit by himself and not yeah. rely on everything. But the master kind of does it at times. He'd always work an angle with someone else to do the dirty work. Where he yeah, did. but
0: the master that we've seen so far, right? Yeah. So we're going purely of last week and this week. He's that guy who's like, I, I'm winning three-dimensional chess and misses the fact that your pawn is about to take his king. You it's
1: not even that. You know, I'm the guy that's playing three dimensional chess. Well, that's great. I have a gun.
0: Yeah, or <laughs> uh, like, you know, I'm going to a three dimensional chess. That's great. We're playing snakes and ladders.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> <a> <laughs> stupid human game. But like, oh yeah, without, without all we know going down the line, he is coming across as very dick dastardly.
0: Yeah, which I don't like because. No. Roger is better than that and he yeah. plays him better than that and so the writing isn't supporting Roger at this point which no. I'm uh, which I'm not a fan of
1: no but it's but I suppose the the thing that definitely has is his screen presence when he's there you're just drawn to him the guy could oh, be, yeah. the guy could be written off a fucking cereal box and I'm like yes please tell me your dastardly plan to add milk <laughs> <laughs> um no, yeah, but like it's his, it's his charisma, it's his presence, it's his chemistry with everyone that he works with, mm. is great. Uh, even like even Mailer, like he just Roger has great chemistry with your man. It's yeah. it's great. Mm. So then we have the machine.
0: The machine reminds me a bit of the Animus
1: from the Web Planet. Do you know what it Reminds me of a fucking abra bastard teleporting all over the place and he's nearly fucking impossible to catch oh. <laughs> okay <laughs> okay so in terms of the effect of yeah.
0: the creature that it has on the people i'm going with the animus uh, yeah. and possibly uh from a different uh starbase show uh the skin of evil which mm. we said also reminded us yeah. of the animus
1: mm-hmm.
0: um it sort of reminded me a lot of that it's a very scary concept
1: mm. oh it's a terrifying concept terrifying
0: when you consider the fact that it causes you to experience your worst fears without any physical stimulus. Like, mm. it caused small bites and scratches to appear on someone.
1: like That's fucked up. It convinces you that what you're experiencing is so real. Your body creates the effect.
0: It's mental. It's so mental. And it's also, like, this is the first time I think possibly ever... Mm. To this point, that we've actually seen the doctor's fears. Like, I know that the doctor kind of showed Zoe a little bit of like, this is what we faced before, mm. but that was in a controlled environment. I think it's probably the first time we have actually seen the doctor's fears. Do you know the carryover from Inferno, which I thought was a brilliant no, add on? I thought that was it's
1: wonderful, wonderful, wonderfully well
0: done. Mm. Um, and then the fact that it goes further and like all these other things, you know, the Cybermen, the Daleks and, and everything else, mm. which is crazy. Um, it It's the one question I have, though, is mm-hmm. once the hairdryer piece was removed from the machine, right? So the hairdryer piece goes down over your head. Yeah. And it sucks out all of the evil thoughts and it gives it to the machine, mm. right? Which stores it up and becomes the evil. Yeah. Creature with one eye. What was its motivation after that? Because without the headpiece, it can't absorb evil anymore. So, does it want more evil to absorb, or is it just going to kill people? Has it absorbed enough now?
1: But because the master
0: says, "I'm going to starve you," Hmm. but we don't see it sucking the evil out of anyone. It just fucks their heads.
1: But see, this is the thing now that you'd be kind of wondering: is that like, okay. I have a feeling mm. that the headpiece is a is a filter mm. so i th- I think that when it kills you it feeds off you as it kills you
2: mm.
1: so like it like when it kills all those prisoners it takes the negative emotions and it that's what keeps it sustaining itself. I think the master used the headpiece so that it would like okay so I go take their negative emotions, but at least it's just not gonna fucking kill people.
0: Well yeah because like, if you think about it like with the doctor or whatever, mm. like when it attacks the doctor, when it attacks the master, when it attacks anybody who survives,
2: yeah,
0: we don't see them being mentally any different other than being shaken by their fears. Yeah. Do you know? So it's it's like it has two powers. It has the evil absorption hmm. and then the fear manifestation. And like they're different.
1: It's like <sighs> <sighs> i've often said that sometimes the unknown component is the scarier component Hmm. and the doctor says that this thing is a parasite you know from a parasitic entity from the dawn of time type thing Hmm. so like it kind of puts it up there with like it from or sorry pennywise from it
2: Hmm. you
1: know in just the sense of like it's from the creation it's like no one knows where the fuck it comes from If it's one of a kind, if it's part of a, if it's the weakest thing of its species, no one knows. And it's like, if this thing is strong enough to cause all this fucking havoc and it takes the explosion of a warhead to get rid of it, God help us if any more of it comes.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a very scary thought. How would you rate it compared to the Animus?
1: That is a very good question because see, at least the Animus showed, No, no, they're both sentient. Mm. But the Animus was able to communicate. Yes, and actually going back to, the go, I think the the Doctor probably, like even going back to William Hartnell, he mm-hmm. he realised like the like the difficulty that they had taking on the Animus, and I kind of looking back now was like was that just a front that we talked about William Hartnell having? Like did he mm. did, did he actually fear what the Animus represented? Mm. Um, so. I don't. Know, I. Th- I'm going to give the edge slightly to the, the creature, uh, the mind of evil, in terms of that, because the fact that it's it doesn't communicate, it doesn't speak to them. Mm. So, like, is it doing this because is it doing it because it's a biological imperative to feed and sustain itself? Is it doing it because it takes pleasure in what it's doing? does it have an agenda of its own we don't know and that's kind of scarier to me it is anyway like
0: yeah no i'd agree i would agree so yeah at the creepy control you and manifest your fears convention we have the animus we have the mind of evil um at the sort of plus one table we have the skin of evil Mm-hmm. Um, who is really just a pile of tar. They can't really do much other than be a pile of tar that kills Tasha. Spoilers. Um But yeah, I think they're they're gonna have a very interesting convention.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and the janitors are just so like, you know, the, the fuck's sake, do you know how hard it is to get slime out of carpet? <laughs> uh, is this
0: is this waste? Is it part of him? <laughs> oh, God, I don't
1: care. Do you mind? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ.
0: Cool. So we have come to the final part of today's show, our mm-hmm. overall thoughts. Yes. So, Patty, overall thoughts on the mind of evil, please.
1: I, no, it might just be me. But I feel I think we get a better feeling for like this new TARDIS family from this story than we did, we did from the previous story. Mm. Like I know that Yates isn't as present, but we're getting a bit more of the Brig and Benton, uh, their development. Joe is hugely improved from her previous thing. The Doctor has kind of reverted to what we liked about, like like a small bit compared to the previous week. Mm. Um. Yeah, like Joe's a lot more fleshed out. The Master, as I said, I to me he seems to be at least, at least a little more cognizant of the threat of the machine, hence his backup plan to get the Doctor involved. Um, Yates he again seems less less of a douche, bit of still a douche, but mm-hmm. <laughs> less of one. And as I said, just neil mccarty's performance as barnum and actually just made me feel so much for that character that you you kind of actually forget we, we talked about it there in his in the um, discussion about mailer like what did he do like we could be showing sympathy for like a fucking horrible murderer slash rapist slash whatever mm. you know all we care about is the the poor pitiful fucking person in front of us yeah uh, and that again goes to the star performance of neil mccarty I, my score initially for this was four mm. because I prefer this to Terror of the Autons. I, I, would, I would actually I would watch this over Terror of the Autons if I was given the choice. Mm. I've dropped my uh, score down to 3.75 though. Mm. Um, my initial deductions were for Mailer just being like a kind of a... He, he, he didn't add anything that the secondary antagonist or in this case probably the tertiary antagonist can add. Like we've talked about South we talked about Regan. We've like there's others examples like Packer, mm. you know, Packer, Packer. <laughs> <laughs> like just that kind of thing. Like you know, he just didn't add any of those elements that I like from the tertiary or secondary antagonist. Um, I would have loved a lot more tensions between the U.S. and the PRC. Mm. Like I, I feel like that that was kind of swept swept under the rug a small bit, bit too fast. I would have liked to have seen it at least be going to episode three, fully episode three, as opposed to just like getting resolved at the start of it. Mm. But the reason I dropped it down another small bit is you made me realize how much I cared about Barnum. That, mm. The fact that no one tried to stop the doctor from using him or no, like no one, we didn't see a scene of them tr- rationalizing, which I'm going like, we need your help. We need you to do this. We did we didn't see that that actually has kind of pissed me off because I I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a very sentimental person and I don't like seeing people being taken advantage of especially when they don't have the faculties to realize that they are being taken advantage of
2: yeah
1: so I don't want to drop it down any lower because I still prefer this story to terror of the autons which I rated 3.75 and if someone's just going off my numerical score then I would want it to at least be a small bit higher than, and like they can listen to this wonderful two-hour two, <laughs> two segment to get my impressions on stuff. So I'm maybe at a three point seven five.
0: Cool. So for me, there are bits I liked about this. First of all, I will say the film work on this was fantastic.
1: Mm.
0: Everything, bar the dragon, was brilliant. Nice. <laughs> yes. right? Um, the gunfights. Jesus Christ! Some people died in the story. Mm.
1: This is probably one of the highest body counts we've seen in a while.
0: Yeah. Um, it's probably the most we've ever had, yeah. um, And I think it accomplished something which is very difficult to do in Who, in that it was very realistic.
2: Hmm.
0: Do you know? You're not lucky at wobbly sets. No. Which never took us out of the story before, but it's always good to call out when they do it really well. And in this case, they did.
1: Like... A, like, just to cut across, like, a good example of that is the Romans, where you can kind of see the sets wobbling a small bit in the background, mm. and like you kind like after a while you start to look out for stuff like that. Here, no, you you don't even pay attention to it. You don't. Yeah. You're not. You're completely drawn into the story.
0: Yeah. Um. So the film work was great. I think the break had some amazing moments. I think Joe, like we said, top performance out of the two so far for Joe, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. There was something I noted. <laughs> That I forgot to mention earlier. Hmm. So you mentioned last week we have Greyhound and Trap One. Yeah, right. This week we had a second one, which was Jupiter and Venus. <laughs> now, obviously, planets, but also mythology, right? So yeah. Jupiter,
1: king of the king of the Roman king gods,
0: of, you know, basically the equivalent of Zeus, mm-hmm. and that's the Brigadier.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Yates is Venus.
1: Well, he is your fire. He is your desire.
0: <laughs> Do you know? Uh, the goddess of love, sex, beauty, and fertility. I <laughs> know. I wonder if they were playing into the fact that the warhead was called the Thunderbolt. Mm. And that they were playing. But I just find it really interesting that, like, you, you couldn't have gone with, like, uh, I don't know. Eros. Diego or something. I oh, think Like, Mars.
1: <laughs>
0: whatever. Yeah. No. Venus. Okay, so um But that was just something I left out of the earlier discussion, and I remember just having to, go with Had that, to that, That's the
1: equivalent of Sue in Glee calling Kurt Lady, yeah, <laughs> just because he's feminine. Yeah. So just because like Yates is a potentially a bit of a man whore, like he's now Venus. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough.
0: And big, like, and then like you've got Papa Brigadier as, as <laughs> Jupiter. Um, the Master is an interesting villain. I want to see more though. Yeah. um i want to see his intelligence carrying through to the fucking end of a story mm. and not in my mind being undermined partway through mm. um the story itself was grand yeah to be honest it didn't really grip me and the things that did grip me were the things i didn't like yeah the treatment of barnum the master the doctor's sort of still quite derogatory treatment of joe though it does get better but like That's still the foot we start out on. Hmm. Even though it's clearly been ages since the last story. Because this machine has been used several times. Mm. Almost set up months prior. Yeah. Do you know? So, like, technically speaking, it's been, like, possibly several weeks, if not months, since Autons. Yeah. And he's still treating Joe like shit. And... The story as a whole was grand. I think they split themselves a bit too thin in trying to have the international espionage piece
2: Hmm.
0: and then the creature mind control piece. I think they they spread themselves too thinly trying to do both.
1: The the story, if they wanted to do something like that, they should have gone with potentially eight, like the deliberate invasion. Where you had, yeah. what you had the four was the build up and all the secrecy going around with Vaughn, and then four was okay. The Cybermen are involved.
0: Yeah, um, I think that may have been better. So for me, the story just didn't grip me. Like so the bits that did were the bits I didn't really like. Mm-hmm. So I gave it a three. I, you know, was it better than last week? I was more interested last week. Mm. Um, what did I give last? I gave last week a three point five.
1: You gave a three point five, yeah
0: last week i was like this was like at the end of episode three i was like okay cool on to episode five no four i've only watched three of these already
2: (laughs) yeah
0: i don't like having when i have that reaction no it's not the worst of them by any stretch it to me is average which is a three
1: yeah um in terms of supporting cast because i think that's the thing that we've kind of started to really focus on (laughs) Mm i think i think probably like ever since moon base really <laughs> yeah um what do you make of this week's supporting cast
0: i think this week's supporting cast was good mm. um those that were meant to be sort of sideline don't like cosworth and stuff mm. were still good mm-hmm. um i think summers is good barnum like we said is fantastic i thought mailer was good for the character that he was playing mm. Um, there was no one in it that I thought was not pulling their weight. Is it yeah. invasion? Is it web of fear level? No, but it's solid. Yeah, solid performances across the board. Yeah,
1: like I like I think out of everyone for me, Mailer's probably like just like the the weakest of a, of a good batch of performers again mm. because like, there was just nothing special about his character, but he. he he did the best of what he was given yeah. but I think the standouts for me this week were, were Katie uh, Nick and Neil
0: oh yeah and like if we're including like our regulars like yeah yeah, yeah. You know, oh, oh, and Nick oh, were and,
1: like, oh, and obviously like John Levine constantly always John Levine <laughs>
0: uh, to quote uh, cinema wins John Levine is always a win yep
1: yeah, pretty much absolutely <laughs> and so the master has escaped free to travel time and space which is fucking terrifying <laughs> while the doctor is still exiled in with the brigadier <laughs> i even did the eyes uh so guys join us next week when we will discuss the doctor's next adventure in the Claws of axos where one interesting tidbit about this particular season is that the master always undergoes an alias that ref- that has to do with the title master so we'll just see what it is like i think keller is like uh there's some latin thing for the he who gives commands or some shit like that mm. so it'll be interesting to see what he's called next week
0: that's an interesting tidbit mm. i was going to make a completely different comment that was kind of inappropriate so i'm glad you wanted that tidbit.
1: what were you gonna what was your interesting not so like come on we're after i wouldn't here. mind
0: being exiled at the brigadier <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh especially if it, it leads to the revelation that like Liz is living in his cottage or something.
0: Yeah, I, I, I can, I can, I wouldn't mind living that. that. That's absolutely fine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and on that not so unsurprising bombshell, <laughs> we shall go. We shall bid you do to next week. So bye